I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. The future is here, if you can pay for it. From NFTs to Web3 to virtual worlds, it seems like everyone has a pitch about what the future looks like and how we get there. For those involved, it's a frenzied world of big money and massive opportunity. From the outside looking in, a lot of it looks like a massive scam. Now, when I was a kid, the future meant flying cars and virtual worlds of our own creation. Now people are telling me it means clunky headsets, pictures of cartoon apes, and decentralized platforms that make absolutely no sense, but will make those involved filthy rich. What the hell is going on? With me today to figure it out is Motherboard Managing Editor Jordan Pearson and special guest Jackson Palmer. Palmer is perhaps most famous for creating the Dogecoin, but he's also a musician, a programmer, and the host of the excellent new show, Griftonomics. Thank you both so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, Jackson, for those who don't know, uh, can you tell us about your background and the the brief story of Doge? Yeah, um, I've been, uh, I guess you could say, a very online person for most of my life, and um Back in the day, uh, you know, was involved in several web projects, but um, in around 2013, uh, a bunch of my friends were, were getting into Bitcoin and Litecoin and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I made the joke about Dogecoin, um, which uh, very quickly turned into a, a real thing also as a joke um, and then kind of got out of hand. So I was involved in that for really a short period of time in the grand scheme of things, uh, kind of left Dogecoin in about 2014, actually, shortly after it, it was created. Um, and that first time was really, I, I left because I'd seen a lot of the, the scams and the, the problems that were in crypto. And I was like, okay, like it basically validated why I made the joke. Um, and, you know, since then, uh, I've come back a couple of times, first in, in 2017, 2018, to, to build a YouTube channel, trying to educate people about cryptocurrency, focus on the technology instead of the speculation. Um, you know, th- that kind of took off, but not really versus the people who were, were, were you know, shilling investment advice. Um, so disappeared a little bit again, and then more recently have come back because I find that um, kind of as you were alluding to, uh, it's not just about crypto anymore. I think we're living in this kind of age of grifting, this 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 age of fraud, um, especially online. So can you tell us then a little bit about this new project that you've got, Griftonomics? What's it about? Yeah, Griftonomics, it, it actually started as an idea uh, well over a year ago um, when I originally bought the domain. Um, and the the kind of format is, is really not just focusing on cryptocurrency, but every episode focusing on something that people may be hearing a lot about, like a shiny object. Um, but if you you dive deeper into it, kind of uncovering the grift of, of that thing. And so, you know, we've we've done episodes on Web three, we've done episodes on the metaverse, um, the idea of of selling free speech, which seems to be a popular thing right now. And you know, just just recently today, launched an episode about carbon offsetting and carbon credits, which you know, 
is a topic that I didn't know a lot about. But again, you scratch a little bit at the surface and you find out that, that it, it's uber grift. Um, and so it's really about just shining light on a lot of these things. Um, and as I was saying, um, I think these day and age, because we're, we're so digital, because we're all so online, um, a lot of people are more susceptible or maybe more exposed to, to grifts than they, they might know. So what's your opinion on say, picking a random name out of a hat, Elon Musk and how he's connected to this topic? I think he is is obviously you know a, a, a big proponent of of uh, certain cryptocurrencies and plays a role in in kind of the hype cycle that is attached to it. You know, there's um, you know, for instance, I know for a fact that a lot of uh, automated trading bots you know tr- place trades based on on whether he tweets with certain keywords. Um, I think what's important to note though is that he's not the only one. He is. In many ways, I think uh, somewhat of a pawn for the, um, the 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 real promoters of cryptocurrency, the real promoters of some of these grifts. Um, you know, who in my mind are you know crypto exchanges, people who really will make a profit of it. Uh, you know, in, in my eyes, the richest man in the world isn't looking to make a buck off off some crappy altcoin. Um, you know, it's probably somebody else that is that's putting, you know, a whisper in his ear to talk about that thing so that it benefits them. So that, that's how I kind of think about it. Um, and, you know, as I said, it's the exchanges, it's the VCs that are very invested in this stuff, pouring billions, you know, the Andreessen Horowitzes of the world, that kind of thing. So it feels like where we are right now, not a day goes by that Motherboard doesn't report on something like this, something that you're talking about, some new crypto that turns out to be a scam, you know, somebody that gets hacked and loses everything in the NFT market. Is there something about tech right now? And you kind of alluded to it earlier saying like, we're all living very much more online. Is there, mm-hmm. What are the kind of the underlying conditions that have created this world where it feels like it's a constant grift and scam. Yeah, it's a good question. I had a, I actually had Maxwell from from Motherboard on the other day, and we were talking about this. I think there's several things um, that have kind of propped up that have kind of led us to this world of, of hyper capitalism, um, where you know it's really just a focus on on money, 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 and you know the world has always been that way, or at least it has been for a couple of centuries. Um, but I think. Uh, more recently, you know, especially because of the pandemic, I think there has been uh, isolation that has occurred. People are feeling less and less uh, about, you know, the the well-being of their collective and more about the well-being of, of, of themselves as an individual. And I think to some level, that's okay. I think everybody has to look after themselves and, and make sure they're exercising self-care in that way. But I think the unfortunate side effect that is being exploited by a lot of these kind of scams and frauds uh, is that um, it kind of has bred a, a moral nihilism, a, a, a world in which because there is you know, not this kind of collectivism happening anymore, you're not seeing people, you're not feeling empathy for other people as much day to day. I think people are, have been pushed to a point where they don't care if you know their neighbors or even in some cases their family loses money uh, on something so long as it's okay for their back pocket. Um, and I think if you go back five or 10 years ago, I don't think we could have lived in this world because I think there would have been just kind of a societal shame in, in acting that way. But I think people don't care anymore. As I was saying, they're, they're nihilistic about 
you know, who cares about the collective good um, so long as, you know, I'm able to, to make a buck. Do you think that any of that has to do with, I'm thinking of like the Douglas Rushkoff idea of the way that we interact with each other has changed so much and so much of human communication relies on all these kind of subconscious things that we don't take into account. Like when you're like you and I are looking at each other across a zoom call, we can see mm-hmm. each other's face. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of like expressions and things that happen. Um, so much of the way we interact now, all of that has been stripped away. Do you think it's easier that that part of it too kind of makes it easier? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if you go back and I've done some of this research for the podcast, if you go back and look at grifts, they've been they've existed for as long as money has, as long as markets have. Um, I think they used to be a lot harder to facilitate because a lot of it had to be done in person. You had to uh, sell your snake oil in person. You know, if, if you go back to even the MLM days of kind of Tupperware and 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 cosmetic parties and things like that, you had to gather people physically in a house to try and sell them into your pyramid scheme. Um, and so the hurdles were there. In addition to that. You know, those, those schemes were typically carried out with um, just regular old US dollars or or, th- or the existing banking system, which had a lot more regulatory oversight. And so I think we're in a world now where in addition to, you know, chat and uh, TikTok and a lot of these kind of really seamless digital methods allowing people to connect with much larger audiences than they could have over for a Tupperware uh, party, combined with the fact you now have cryptocurrency, which you know, unfortunately has acted as a way to, uh, as a kind of rail in a sense for um, unregulated finance. And so um, you have this thing that, that that is unregulated, easy to hide, shady kind of um, things that you're doing behind. Um, and you have mass audience now um, through through digital kind of methods. I think, yeah, it's just rife for, for this kind of scam. It's, it's funny, I hadn't thought about crypto being kind of the perfect vector for this stuff mm-hmm. because it is unregulated. How much, how much are not just the American government? I think we focus on America cause, uh, I live here. Uh, Jordan may not live here, but he works here. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the West a lot. Uh, what, how, in what ways are the governments dropping the ball? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think there is a perspective that 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 cryptocurrency in many ways is still a niche thing and I was I was hoping that like honestly when I started the Griftonomics podcast I was hoping not to cover crypto too much but um, as you scratch kind of at the surface of these different grifts you know whether it's the metaverse or even carbon offsetting believe it or not um, you'll always find a crypto angle um, it is it is parasitic in that that it is cryptocurrency tries to find synergies with with other you know scams so that it can kind of uh, have longevity in a way or extract value and so with carbon offsetting for instance you know there's several blockchain projects that are spinning up to sell carbon credits basically turn carbon credits into a casino um, through through a blockchain I know it's mind-blowing not to mention the person that's leading this is Adam Newman of, of WeWork fame who has started a blockchain carbon credit you know, Andreessen Horowitz thought that it would be a great idea to give him, you know, a lot of money again. So all of that aside, this is just my way of saying, I do think that crypto is actually a lot more pervasive, but in a way that a lot of people don't think about, they don't know that it is this underlying rail that a lot of these other grifts are using to, to power. 
As for the government, I think they've fallen victim to the same thing as the the, the, the mainstream population and that they haven't seen this really um, kind of happening behind the scenes. Um, and I think the other side effect uh, or the other problem is that lobbyists um, have really become hugely powerful when it comes to, you know, maintaining uh, the unregulated nature of cryptocurrency. Um, the multiple run-ups we've had over the last decade have given these exchanges and these venture capitalists huge war chests that they're able to uh, dive into and then uh, use to put money in the in the back pockets of politicians who then go and, uh, you know, uh, the lawmakers who are, who are trying to write these regulations. And so while I do think that there may be a step towards greater regulation in the coming years, I think it's going to be defanged in in many senses um, due to the the fact that a large swath of politicians that are writing this regulation um, probably have, you know, in many cases, maybe undisclosed crypto investments or receiving campaign financing from the exchanges and venture capitalists promoting cryptocurrency. There was... Just I know you were talking about non-US. Oh, sorry. <laughs> did I jump in? You did, but go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, something just happened, like, within the last 24 hours that's relevant to this discussion, which is, you know, the new legislation that was uh, put forward by uh, Senators Gillibrand and Loomis, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, Loomis is a very, like, pro-crypto uh, politician, she bought Bitcoin in 2013 in terms of like, yeah, who's she, dropped had, the uh, ball, she had I laser mean, eyes in her Twitter bio, right? Yeah. She's one of those. People. Yeah. She was, she's a laser eyes GOP politician. <laughs> um, I mean, like what, cause I've been like, you know, covering crypto for since the days when Jackson was still in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, uh, you know, it, it's hard to not to see that like the ball has already been dropped. Like, you know, like the sec is now trying to like play an unwinnable game of catch up with like, because basically the way that's like the, the securities designation in crypto has worked like, and still works is that no one really knows if something is a security until the sec suddenly says that it is Mm -hmm. Um, like, there's been no like, you know, like law that says like this or that is definitely a security except for like whether or not your lawyers tell you that it passes the Howey test or not. And like, um, there's all kinds of justifications that people have come up with to say that. Becca, tell us, tell us, tell, tell me, cause I don't know what the Howey test is. Yeah. The Howey test is a test to see if something is a security and it's pretty simple. It's like, you know, are you buying something, uh, with the understanding that you're going to like profit from it due to like the efforts of someone else so that would be like you know shares of a company or it could be like tokens in a project that's like promising they're going to make a game so your tokens are going to be like really valuable later um so you know this has been going on for like almost a decade now and without like strong guidance from the sec um except for like this these sort of like piecemeal rulings like we're now in a place that like the horse is kind of out of the barn. I don't know if that's a mixed, the proper metaphor, but like the cat's out of the bag in a sense, like there are like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of crypto projects mm-hmm. that, um, you know, are probably if the sec was going to take a look at it and make a ruling are probably securities. But now we're in a, in a place where like we're trying to legislate 
around this, but you know, it's already everywhere. So this like new bill that is on the table basically is saying that um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and probably most derivative cryptocurrencies are not securities. They're not regulated by the SEC, but they're commodities uh, that should be regulated by the uh, CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So commodities like oil or gold. And this is kind of like a dream scenario for many in the crypto lobby, because Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that means that the securities regulator is, you know, not looking at their shit, basically. Um, It's funny because, like, I I think many Bitcoiners would probably have a meltdown at the idea of, like, Ethereum being a commodity as well as Bitcoin because they tend to see, like, Ethereum as, like, the OG shitcoin that's actually a a security, but, you know, they pretend it's not. But we're now in this situation where there's a law on the table um, where Ethereum would be considered a commodity like oil or gold along with Bitcoin, like, precisely because essentially regulators have sort of sat on their hands for basically the entire decade that yeah i I think it's important um like i i don't have a lot of faith in 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 the u.s (laughs) law system uh pushing that forward we'll see if it actually ends up making it into law but i i think it it is important to to note that that the one of the people that 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 wrote that that legislation or the proposal uh loomis uh is is very much what some would call a bitcoin maximalist is very much in that camp so it's no surprise to me um that proof of work currencies for instance like bitcoin would uh, receive that kind of commodity designation in, in this framework. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it will get a lot of pushback, though. I, I think that, yes, it may be okay for Bitcoiners, but you know who's not going to be a fan of this? Exchanges, because their entire business model, the Coinbase's of the world, um, is predicated not necessarily on Bitcoin transactions. Not a lot of people are trading Bitcoin speculatively. They're trading you know, crappy cat coin, meme coin stuff. Um, that will probably be, you know, a victim of, 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 of this legislation. And so I think you'll actually see some counter lobbying from, um, the big exchanges, um, Coinbase, FTX, Kraken, et cetera, uh, against some of this legislation. I'm, that's probably what will hold it up actually is you can't touch the coffers. You can't touch the business model of these large exchanges. All right. We're going to pause there for a break. Cyber listeners, we will be right back after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, cyber listeners, thank you for sticking around. We are on with Jackson Palmer and Jordan Pearson, and we are talking about how everything feels like a grift right now online in the crypto space, especially, but in tech in general. Um, Before we jumped off, we were talking about new regulations that are coming down the pipe. Um, Question for both of you, you know, a, a very simplistic, I think, 
reason that I had always felt that nothing was being done in the regulatory space was was not just that the lobbying money, but also the fact that many of our the American legislators are old um, and perhaps don't have backgrounds in tech, don't understand this technology. But th- but but then I do see things like this new regulation coming down the pipe, and then also you know recently the the first insider training around NFTs was uh, that that case is going forward. Do you think there's any traction to the idea that we've just that this stuff will get better as younger people enter uh, you know the legislature, um, or are we kind of doomed? I I don't have a lot of hope. <laughs> which you know and I, I i honestly hate to to have to take that kind of cynical pessimistic view of this but um i think being a decade into into this or more uh, without any real traction to me i i don't see a lot uh, a lot more happening i think even as younger people come in i think most politicians are going to be swayed primarily by what their funding uh, is aligned with. And I think especially these younger candidates coming in, I think they might even, you know, given that they're probably starting from a position of less power than some of the incumbents, going to be even more aligned with where their campaign funding is coming from because they need it to stay relevant and in power. And so, you know, if if there was a new wave of, um, you know, new lawmakers coming through younger lawmakers that that were taking a very vocal anti-crypto stance then maybe i'd have a, a lick of 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 hope but i just don't see that 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 really taking shape and honestly mind you i think there's honestly just much larger societal um kind of issues happening right now that you know, in many ways, I'd probably prefer that those lawmakers actually spend their time on fixing before we go and fix crypto scams. I hate to say that, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the, there's probably more important things. Um, it's kind of one of those things that you you just wish the, the system would pick up as obvious, an obvious scam. And, you know, we, this wouldn't have to even be a conversation, but unfortunately, there's a lot of money involved. Didn't- I agree that it's it's not going to go away for those reasons. Like, you know, Loomis is not a young person, but she's probably the most pro-crypto politician out there. So I don't even know if it's a question of age. Uh, I think it's, you know, Jackson, you've mentioned that crypto is hyper-capitalist, while so are legislators, particularly, you know, often um, Republican legislators who are, you know, very into this stuff. I think it probably, you know, as regulation advances... Um, it probably will get better. I don't think the the scamming the scams are ever going to go away 100%. Just you know that's impossible in my opinion. But I think it would be nice if I didn't see like ads for something called Unicorn Coin plastered all over Laguardia at like baggage <laughs> baggage claim. You know, like hopefully stuff like that will will go away. I think the other thing that 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 makes it a lot hotter is this kind of insidious kind of behind the scenes thing that happens is that. Crypto has this way of attaching itself to use cases that people would be then uh, less likely to try and, and dismantle. So, you know, there's this, this common thing in crypto where they say, well, crypto is helping bank the unbanked. It's helping pull people out of poverty in Venezuela, often without, you know, in any way 
um, you know, substantiating these claims with, with evidence. Um, you know, there's also a lot of puff pieces you'll see about these people, these homeless people in America or these people in a lower socioeconomic rung were pulled out of poverty because they could gamble on random ape NFTs. This is a great thing. And I think that, that those kind of stories um, and that narrative uh, disincentivizes um, politicians, but also even leaders in the tech industry from calling these things a scam because they're like, oh, but it's helping the poor Venezuelans. Should we? I'm going to be seen as a jerk if I go and say this thing is bad. I think that's even further reinforced by, I saw, I think it was last year when the infrastructure bill slipped some crypto stuff in. Um, and the, I saw organizations, nonprofits like the EFF, for instance, um, really campaigning against crypto legislation to the point that the EFF, I think, was retweeting Ted Cruz, who is, was against the legislation as well. So I think also just institutions or, or, or these nonprofits that we have thought in the tech industry are on our side in the past, like the EFF, have been thoroughly infiltrated and thoroughly turned into pro-crypto lobbying organizations that are going to stop some of this stuff. Because I think a lot of people like in the tech world are like, EFF, they're good guys, right? But no. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned EFF because I feel like, a, I mean, obviously like civil liberties orgs are great, but a lot of like the pro-technology groups, I feel are kind of explicitly like techno libertarian really mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. Um, yeah. including, you know, the famous essay that sort of started it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's crypto really does align with that. Like, it's like, well, if you're a, a libertarian technologist, crypto is right there. So it's interesting because I feel like the logic of all of this has been embedded in kind of like the California ideology. Um, oh, yeah. probably forever. Um, and it's like, well, of course they're supporting this. Like it, it lines up completely with everything that they've always been about. Um, but like, uh, it's interesting that now, you know, there's sort of these lines dividing, uh, in, I, I in think, like, it, I think they used to be able to kind of make the excuse of, oh, that's an edge case. Oh, like the, the you know, the, the Venn diagram was such that like on most things we agree with the libertarians. So even there were, you know, people who were more left-leaning, in California, we're like, I'll put up with some of those kind of fringe libertarian beliefs they might hold um, because overall, like privacy, lobbying against Facebook, these are good things. Great. Um, but I think what's happening now is um, the some of those things that were previously fringe are becoming more and more you know, centered to the belief systems of, of uh, these people. And, and I think, honestly, when you get into this with, you know, progressive you know lefty tech people who just who just aren't aware they're like whoa i had no idea like you go and you talk to them about you know some of the the timothy may stuff you talk to them about things like assassination markets that as you were saying have been around for a very long time in in, in the kind of libertarian tech world as concepts but r- r- brushed under the rug and they're like whoa i had no idea i thought we were all just you know trying to care about data privacy or something you know mm-hmm. i th- <sighs> I thought we just had a crypto crash. I thought I thought everything had you been wiped think, out, right? and that yeah, but but you know, your the show launches kind of after Griftonomics kind of launches after it, and the stories don't stop. We're still hearing we're still hearing tales of these you know million dollar hacks, thirteen million dollar hacks. Did the the crash have no effect on any of this? Did all of that money getting kind of wiped out not slow any of this down? I don't think so. I, I, I think that um, 
the reality of of that crash was that it was primarily caused by you know the the Terra Luna situation, which I'm sure I'm sure you might have covered in the past. But um, I think it was it was a little bit of a blip. It was a little bit of a wake up call for some people in crypto. Um, but the reality is that crypto crashes all the time. And it, it gets resurrected by huge investments of, of additional capital from, from VCs because they know that they're not going to be the ones that are losing money. The people that lost money in, in, in these crashes are the last people out the door at the end of the day, right? Everybody who got in early is still sitting on a war chest from you know uh, six to 12 months ago when things were looking good. And now what you see, you know, whether it's you know, them firing up kind of Terra 2 or whatever they were calling it, um, just as a, a blatant way to come back from that. Or you see this new fund that I know Andreessen and Horowitz are now investing in, um, invest putting more money into things like DeFi and DAOs and things like that. Um, it, it's just creating a, another funnel, um, knowing well, like full well, that there is a, a, another round of suckers to get in uh, to, to kind of extract wealth from, right? And some of those people will unfortunately be people who didn't learn their lesson the first crash. They'll be like, oh, now I'm, I'm actually $20,000 in the red. Maybe I will take out another loan to try and make that up, right? It's, it's really a kind of a gambling addiction in my opinion. But then there's also people who may not have been exposed to crypto before um, who will come in for the first time. And there's just, it's that whole kind of greater fools theory, right? Um, and you need a lot of money and a lot of hype, a lot of Matt Damon ads to get more people through the the front door. But I don't think there's a shortage of fools, uh, unfortunately. And because of that, I think, yeah, crypto crash, I, I, I unfortunately don't think it's over. Jackson, I'm curious what you think about, because I mean, you know, we talked about like Andreessen Horowitz and their $45 billion investment in Web3, like post-crash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no secret that they were also like a large funder of like Web2 Silicon Valley mm-hmm. um, companies that like now are kind of like the the villains of like, you know, yep. um, lefty sort of tech circles. Uh, like, I mean, what's the connection there? Like in terms of like the idea grift or like, um, you know, yeah. just sort of the hyper-capitalist bonanza and where it's moving now. Like, yeah. you know, what do you see a connection there and what in your opinion is, is absolutely the there's a there's there's a huge connection. Um I, I think I think it ultimately comes back to the fact that billionaires don't have souls. <laughs> um and I think that 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 there's just a there is a lot of moral gray area there, an ethical gray area where you know venture capitalists will typically go to whatever they can make a buck on, right? And um, in Web two, you know, they they basically helped fund uh, an infrastructure that has, you know, violated our data privacy, sold our data to data brokers for the last, you know, decade or two decades, um, and made a lot of money off that. Um, one thing I think is interesting: the Web two era of startups. Um, while it did make some money for for venture capitalists, it wasn't surefire money. We're all aware of all the failures that happened. There's a lot of cases where, you know, uh, companies like you know or uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz or other other you know Sequoia, Stop other bank. venture capitalists, um, they ninety percent of these startups fail and they don't make a buck, right? So I think that's important to know. In the old world, I think the thing that is so appealing about Web3 to them is 
Web3 is set up in such a way, cryptocurrency is set up in such a way that they can have almost 100% hit rate where not a single one of these investments fails. The way it used to work is that you'd put some, you know, you'd give a company a few million dollars and you'd sit around and you'd hope that within a few years, they'd have an exit. They'd be acquired by somebody else or, you know, you'd have that pipe dream of an IPO so that you'd actually be able to reap the, 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 the money from your investment. Web3... And, and, and I should say, as I said, 90% of those would fail. With Web3, every investment that a company uh, or uh, organization like Andreessen Horowitz can, are making, they can build in at a hugely discounted rate tokens that they receive from a pre-mine. You know? And whether that is tokens in a DAO, you know, some sort of NFT kind of thing, there's always a scheme. But they can make it such that as soon as that thing launches to the public, they're already able to dump and reap reap their the, their initial investment capital, but also a huge profit on top of that, ten out of ten times. And so, to me, I think you know, Web three is you know the Web two kind of grift, but amplified to to a point where it is a surefire bet. And that's why I think they're putting so much money into it. Right, because there's no way, and this sounds crazy, but there's no way that it turns out as a bad investment for a company like Andreessen Horowitz, because each of the bets that they're making, they've already built into the tokenomics of that thing a way that they can dump and recoup at, at the very least recoup their investment, if not make billions of dollars off the bag holders who are going to have to buy the tokens at the public price. That's maybe 10x what they paid. With the UST collapse that we mentioned, like, you know, an yeah. example that comes to mind is because because UST like went to zero people's mm-hmm. lives destroyed effectively. Sure. Um, they were VC backed, uh, you know, investment firms pumped millions of dollars into it. And mm-hmm. after the collapse, I remember one of those firms, Pantera Capital, came out and was like, don't worry, everyone. We dumped all of our tokens on investors at the high. We're good. Yeah. And it's like, OK. That's terrible, but I'm glad you made money. You know, maybe in a in a more typical sort of investment scenario, they would have gone down with the ship if they didn't have an exit opportunity. But because these are tokens, you know, they feel free to to just sort of exit at any time, and their liquidity is uh, retail. Exactly, they just dump on retail investors. And I, but I think here's the crazy thing to me about that is that I don't think there is anywhere near enough backlash from the retail investors who got dumped on to actions like that. And it's because the, the I think there's this like strange belief system where if we think of this as all just one big digital casino, um, that they're just the better poker player. Like in that case, you were saying mm-hmm. Pantera were just the better poker player. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get angry about that because maybe one day I can be like them, you know? Um, and that's the dream that everybody is sold on. Right. So I increasingly have seen when these kind of, you know, morally dubious kind of actions take place, like big venture capitalists dumping on retail investors, there is a honestly hardly any backlash against them because everybody thinks that every 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 crypto day trader right now has a secret dream that in three years they'll have their own fund, you know? And uh it's kind of sad. <laughs> but I mean, you want to, the idea is like, you want to do what they're doing. Like you want to get in early, you want to use as much money as you can to pile up. And then you want to exit at the, Mm -hmm. at the high, like that's the game for everybody, whether you're Andreessen Horowitz or whether you're uh, just a random person. 
But like at the same time, um, I feel like there is a group of people in crypto who are very against this and that's Bitcoiners. And like in my mind, I feel like there's still an asterisk of like between like Bitcoin and crypto mm-hmm. and like whether or not that's like really true. Like I part of me is still like are, we're just in like the longest alt run in history and like everything that we're talking about maybe five years ago would have just been alts. We would have just used the word like alts to talk about them. But now it's like it's crypto. But to to the Bitcoiners credit who are often like, you know, half right about things and then take that to like an extreme degree. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of Bitcoiners in particular see the VC stuff and just correctly in most cases see like impending disaster, basically. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think of the of the it's it's an interesting observation, and it's absolutely true. Is that I think it's more the kind of post Ethereum kind of um, era that is more of this kind of speculation, um, you know, penny stock kind of behavior. Uh, and I, you're right. A lot of Bitcoin maximalists will really call that out. At the same time, if you look into kind of the Bitcoin maximalists, you know. I think of them more like gold gold bugs. Like I think a lot of them are kind of this whole prepper mentality. Um, And there's there's a certain type of, um, I would say there's a certain type of people that are are attracted to Bitcoin and have continued to be Bitcoin maximalists. Um, It's funny because I do agree with them on on a bunch of stuff. Um, But at the same time, then you you look at the other stuff they're posting on their Twitter and you're like, ah, okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I feel Start like... talking about guns, and then things get a little weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're only allowed to you're only allowed to uh, eat raw meat, and you have to eat it off the top of an assault rifle. That's the the Bitcoin diet. Um. Yeah, sorry. The just the image stuck in my head for a second. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about the. I think it's Ted Cruz has got the the ad where he's cooking bacon on an AR-15. Um, oh my god, it's real. Okay, <laughs> funny because that guy's Canadian. Yeah. Never, for, sure. never forget. Never Ted forget. Cruz is Canadian. Never forget. He was born in Canada. Yes. Um, well, uh, nationalism tends to be born on the fringes of a society. I think Father Coughlin, famous 1930s and 40s uh, fascist on the radio in America, also Canadian. Um, we don't talk about that one. T- we don't talk about Ted Cruz either. <laughs> uh, you've got some – there's some strains. I've talked to some interesting people in Canada that that also – there's some strains. There's some strains. We can talk about it off air. Uh, putting that aside, um, I, I've often thought that one of the reasons that this stuff doesn't get regulated as much as it should and isn't looked at and scrutinized as much as possible is because it feels like it exists in a separate economy. Yeah, aside from you know the people that are getting on the roller coaster and getting taken in, um, and aside from like seeing unicorn coin ads at, when you're boarding at LaGuardia. Is Bitcoin, you know, are is these are these speculative markets driving up the price of gas? They don't seem to be. Um, do you think we'll ever get to a point where that is happening? I think, uh, you know, if you'd asked me three years ago, I'd be like, yeah, it's on the fringe. It's 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 something that is in many ways siloed and air gapped from affecting the real world economy, and I was happy for that back when that was the case. I think increasingly, um, you know, with the the kind of game stonks kind of uh, period that that ensued recently, um, and Robinhood and and other apps, you know, I think PayPal have now integrated it again. Um, 
in, allowing you to kind of you know day trade on on crypto assets um, at at a scale that previously wasn't possible um, for for a retail um, kind of investor with a very nice user experience, a really easy mobile app. Um, I think that there's a lot more exposure than than there was three years ago from the average person. Um, furthermore, I think um, a lot of uh, funds, a lot of um, investments, uh, you know, people's 401ks, for instance, I think um, are increasingly getting exposed to crypto in one way or another. Um, and I, I think that is also incredibly dangerous. I, I saw a news uh, piece this morning where I think it was that Senator uh, Loomis actually saying that people's, you know, retirement plans should, you should make sure you have diversified into Bitcoin. And I think that's just such a dangerous thing. And so if people are getting more exposed uh, to, you know, in the mainstream to crypto through those means, I worry. Um, and that was one of the things I was, when the whole Terra Luna collapse started to happen, I was like, Wow, did we could this actually start could this start having ripples back into the mainstream economy? Um, I don't think it imploded enough yet to to see that happen. Um, but when the big bubble pop does happen, I, I it will be interesting to watch. Um and um it's it's interesting. Like I, I know that there's I've been looking into to Finfluences or TikTok influences um who are, who are doing finance stuff and it's a wild world. I, yeah. I recently saw them suggesting things like take, put all your money into this DeFi protocol and then use that, uh, the money that you've borrowed from this DeFi protocol to take out a mortgage on two or three houses. And so I worry that a lot of real world kind of uh, capital could be caught up in, 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 in this kind of weird system that's, that's backed on these protocols. I mean, just last week, I think it was uh, the British Treasury put out uh, a consultation paper where the Treasury proposed that the Bank of England, in the event of like a stable coin failure that threatens the uh, wider economy, that the Bank of England would essentially take over as an administrator to ensure that it continues. Wow. Um, so, you know, whether or not a stable coin will ever become so popular or integral to the economy that that becomes necessary. I think that's an open question. And in my mind is like probably somewhat unlikely still at the current moment, but that is something that the British government at least is putting out there that, you know, in the event that a stable coin pops, um, the government will actually work to make sure that it continues. So the future is like that, that like (laughs) the irony of, of, of a crypto stable coin requiring a bailout from a central banking system or a government, um, given that, you know, the the invention of crypto and was tied to, to a protest against, uh, uh, or supposedly tied to bailouts, uh, that, that's just, that just to me is like, that's such a floor in crypto if that's what it has to rely on, but it's pretty mind boggling for sure. We want to take away, we don't, we, governments to a certain extent want to insulate people, certain kinds of people from the consequences of their actions, right? And so when something fringe reaches a certain asset class, let's say, Mm -hmm. 
then it becomes uh, incumbent upon the government to step in and make sure that that asset class doesn't get hurt too bad. Um, so I think that that would be Jordan. I think that that's a pretty uh, bleak and telling example of where things are going. Cause it certainly doesn't like, I, I thought for sure and Jordan, you knew better than I did. <laughs> I thought for sure the crypto crash, you know, GPU prices were coming down. Everything was going to be fine. This is all going to work itself out. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's just, you know, this kind of thing requires geometric growth. More people are going to get taken in. There's a gambling aspect to it, you always think you're going to be able to get on and and make a quick buck if you're if you're a small time bag holder and doesn't sound good. Yeah, I mean the VC money is just piling in now. Like it's the engines are still just starting up in terms of like you know the same types of people or the same firms in some cases that propped up um, you know a lot of those like Web two companies like we talked about before that um, are now kind of seen as villains like. That's that's all kind of pivoting back into into crypto now. I, I I see it as not just starting up. I think 2021 was I think VCs uh, kind of dipping their toes in the water to to test whether they could extract a lot of money and then get out. And I think it was a success for them at least. It wasn't a success for all the people that are now in the red because of the crash. And so this new injection, I think, in many ways, is just round two. For both them and for their buddies, mm. they've gone and said, "Hey, it's, we did this; it worked. You should get in on it as well." Um, so I, I think it's far from over. All right, Jackson. I think that that's uh, a terrifying place to end. You <laughs> are cataloging all of this. And you are talking about it all the time. Where can people find the show? Absolutely, uh, you can find it at griftonomics.com uh, or twitter.com forward slash griftonomics. So. We release weekly, and I hope people are getting some value out of it. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. And if you like Cyber, we are often streaming the show on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV, where you can watch the show as a live broadcast. And of course, as always, we are available wherever fine pods are casted. Leave 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 us a comment. Drop us a line. Rate the show. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back a little bit later this week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.